Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Are we there yet? You made it. You got your time changed. All right. You did good. Folks, listen, we've all heard that, right? We all have kids. How many of you travel on vacation with your kids? Let me see. Yes, we travel with the kids. We used to have to drive from Farmington to Vancouver, B.C. with my kids when they were toddlers. Okay? It was okay when they were in diapers, but after a period of time, I was like, maybe they need to be in diapers till they're like eight. All right? So that we don't have to keep stopping. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to go to the bathroom. And all that. Hey, guys, once you bring me another mic, I'm hearing crazy noises out of this one. Hopefully that's not my stomach. There we go. So, folks, um, I hear footsteps. Footsteps are coming. They're getting there. There it is. No snap, crackle, and pop, right? <clears throat> I knew I was feeling kind of old and crotchety this morning. I didn't know you'd pick it up on the microphone. So, so we've all been there, and look. That's the question we ask when life seems to be moving way too slow, right? And it's moving way too slow, especially when we're going through times that are challenging. I love in the movie clip where they're going, you know, and the weather's bad and the wind's blowing. And, you know, it's not just boring, but when things are difficult, it really makes us want to get there even faster, right? And uh, Pastor Matt did a great job last week with his uh, DMV story of reminding us why we hate waiting. We hate waiting, don't we? Yes. I hate waiting. If I go to fast food and it's not fast, it makes me sad. All right? So, I hate it. You hate it. We get that. And uh, some of you have been working on some important things in your life. And you're kind of asking this question, are we there yet? Some of you have been working on your marriage. You're like, man, we've met with people, we talked with people, we counseled with people, we've read the book, we've done all this, and we've talked, we've fought, we've done all these things. Are we there yet? Like, are we ever going to get past the struggle we have in our relationship? Some of you have been working on paying off debt for a long time. Can I hear amen? Right? Working on paying off debt, and you're like, are we there yet? Right? Is we just, are we just gonna, this seems like it's just going to go on forever. Or maybe you've experienced something difficult, like a loss, or maybe you've been working through a conflict. All these kind of things make us come back to this thing where we want to see progress being made, especially when things really do need to get better. So we're going to start today in this uh, part of our series called Take a Number, where we're going to look at the life of Ruth. And Ruth is a person that was at one of those are we there yet um, times in her life. And um, she was going through a difficult time. She lived in a dark time. The Bible says that she lived in the time of the judges, which here's what that means. It means that there was a time of darkness, of disobedience, and extreme violence. And so they're having to live and endure this in the world um, that they're living in. <clears throat> and on top of that, her story really begins in a tragic uh, place and a desperate place. So hang with me because I want you to follow along. I want you to see where she comes from and where she ends up. Because that's the whole point of the story. That's the whole point of the book of Ruth. And uh, there was a man in Judah, a famine, I mean in Judah. That's where they lived. And there was a man there named Elimelech. And he had a wife named Naomi, and they had two sons. And so when they ran out of food, there was not enough food to go around, they had to get out of town. 
They had to move from one town to another town, hoping things were going to be better. But not just moving from one town to another town. They had to move from one country to another country. They had to relocate in a place with an entirely different culture, entirely different uh, historical religion. And the whole thing was very different. They're traveling during these difficult times. So when they get there, um, tragedy struck their family. And Naomi lost her husband. And then it says that she lost both her sons. And her sons were both married. One was married to a Moabite girl, someone he met there where they moved, and that girl's name was Ruth. And so when we pick up the story, Naomi is the eldest member of a family of three widows. And it's difficult. I mean, they're at the bottom, especially in the society that they lived in. And after Naomi's husband and sons had died, she decided, I'm going to go back to my homeland. And um, she told Ruth, you're Moabite. You're here. This is your homeland. The Moabites were historic enemies of the Jewish people. And she said, look, Ruth was being very honest with her. She said, I don't think it'd be good for you to go back to the homeland where I live because it's not your people and there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad things happening already and I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I think Ruth, uh, Naomi's mo- motives were very good, were very honest and I think she really cared about Ruth and that's why she wanted her to stay. And so she says that to Ruth and I want you to look at Ruth 1 with me. This is Ruth's reply. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. So here's what I think is happening. They've built a relationship now. They both care about each other now. They've went through some terrible things together. They've survived together, endured it together. And, and she's like, I'm, I'm bonded to you. And so she says, don't, don't ask me to turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. This is one of the most famous statements in the entire Bible. And she says it, and listen folks, she means it. She means it. Um, So Ruth and Naomi travel back to Bethlehem. And they arrive there as widows. And look, uh, by all reasons, human reasons, they're destined to live in poverty. That's what happens in this time. And the timing of the arrival, arrival is important. The Bible talks about it. They get there in the spring, and in the springtime is a time of harvest in this place. So they were harvesting uh, barley at this time. Ruth 2 verse 1 says this, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out in the harvest fields, to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. And again, Naomi's, you can see always that Naomi really cares about Ruth. They care about each other. And, and she's, she's really having to convince Naomi to let her go out there. Why? <clears throat> because she's a foreigner. She is a historical enemy of the people. She's going to be out in a field. No one knows her. It's mostly men. And it's not safe. And Naomi's reasoning with her, very logically, very honestly, 
this is scary. It scares me, the thought of you going out there, picking up grain in this place, because of who you are, and because of what's been going on in our land, um, I, I don't feel good about it. But Naomi, can, uh, Ruth convinces her, she's like, let me go out. I need to go out in the harvest field. I need to get this done. And then, she, so she did. And what was about to happen was going to be the turning point of Ruth's life. Naomi replies, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And the Bible says, and as it happened, as it happened. This is found throughout the book. And she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. And while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he greeted the harvesters. So Boaz shows up in town when she's there, and he notices Ruth. And he says, who's that, who's that girl out there? Obviously, uh, he didn't know her, and he could probably visibly tell. This is not someone we would usually see out in the field. And so he notices, he asks, he said, well, this is uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law. She's the one that came here, and she's been out here all day picking up grain. And so don't miss this. This is so important. Again, Ruth was a Moabite. She was an outsider. She was a widow, and she was desperately poor, and she was not living in her own country. She was not part of God's covenant people, but she was faithful to Naomi. And she was wanting to learn how to be faithful to God. So things progress. And Ruth and Boaz, you know, um, they, they, this all plays out. and it, It's all in there. I encourage you to read it. And it, here's what it says. It says that they um, went out to dinner and they decided to go see a movie. All right. And so the popular movie at the time, of course, was the Ten Commandments. All right. So they're going... Let's go out and see the Ten Commandments. It was a toss-up because Ben-Hur was in one theater and Ten Commandments were in another. You know, Moses always, Moses always wins, all right? So um, they go see the movie, you know, about Moses, and they're like, wow, that was amazing. I'm assuming um, that it was a drive-in, you know, because they didn't have TVs. So I'm assuming a drive-in, pull the camel in, hook up the little speaker, you know, all of that. I'll let you read that for yourself in the Bible, Okay. So here's the, here's the point, is they got to know each other. And the more they got to know each other, the more they liked knowing each other, and they got married. And they started a family. And their first son's name was Obed. Now, you've never heard of Obed uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that's just a stupid name, all right? Don't name your kids Obed, all right? It's just, you know, it's a dumb name. It's not going to work out. Um, don't do it. Trust me. Just trust me on this one, all right? So, sure enough, I know there's going to be one person here today, hey, that's my middle name, right? So, I'm sorry, Pastor Matt told me to say that, okay? So, <laughs> if you're angry. So, Obed, you don't know him, but you do know his grandson. His grandson's name was David. The David. King David. Very important. The most important king in the history of the nation of Israel. And so Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of David, King David. She becomes a member of his family line. And in the Gospels, there's a genealogy there. And she's listed 
in the genealogy of another very famous person named Jesus. So this poor, outcast, Moabite girl from a faraway land goes to a different country and she becomes radically blessed by God. Radically blessed by God. Listen to me. Anytime that you see somebody's life and you can tell that they've been blessed by God in a big way, there's a big question that you got asked. This is a question that always comes to my mind. My question is this, why? Look, we got books and books and books about people's journeys in life. How'd they go from here to here? And we like to read those books. This, this book of Ruth is one of those where God's saying, this is how she went from here to here. And get this, it doesn't say that she had a high IQ. It doesn't say that she was beautiful, that she had an acting career. It doesn't say that she came out of privilege. It doesn't say any of the things. In fact, every circumstance given, every detail given to describe Ruth would make you automatically say, this is the opposite of what a, is gonna, a, a person who ends up really blessed and married to the, to the wealthy, influential guy who becomes in the line of David and the line of Jesus. That's the opposite person that that happens to. And that's why God put it in the Bible. So that we would know it. So we could see it and listen. The quality that stands out in Ruth's life above all the other qualities is this. She was faithful. She was faithful. And we discover by reading the book of Ruth and we look at her story that God radically blesses faithfulness. God radically blesses faithfulness. God does things through faithfulness that don't happen any other way. And I want you to see it. And, and I, I could ask you, well, what's the definition of faithfulness? But I'm going to show you by the example of her life what that is. There are four areas that God wants us to be faithful in. And I want you to see those four areas. So these are the four areas in her life. You have the exact same four areas in your life. And I promise you, you want to have God's blessing on all four of these areas. So jump in with me. Number one, God wants us to be faithful to him. That's where it starts. Number one is always number one. It starts with him. And one of the overriding themes of the book of Ruth is this, the providential sovereignty of God. God is seen everywhere. He's weaving his purposes through the events and the circumstances of life. God brings a Jewish man and his family to Moab. Tragedy strikes, but God brings these two people together, Naomi and Ruth, and he moves them to a new land. Again, back to her homeland. And he's at work. And out of these circumstances, Ruth becomes a first generation believer. You see, she was raised in the land, schooled in the worship of the God, a God named Chemosh. Again, we're not familiar. You can look it up yourself. Here's basically what it boils down to. He was the God of violence. Destruction. We're this society, our God, means is we're going to dominate all the other societies around us in whatever way possible. This is where she was raised. 
This is why they were the historic enemies of the place where she was at now. But even though she did that, she was raised there. When she was exposed to the love of Naomi and the love of Naomi's God, she wanted to worship her God. Because in the living God, she found redemption. And she found hope. And she found purpose for her life for the very first time. It's an amazing conversion story. It's an amazing story of someone being saved from an old life to a new life. And the story reads often, it says, Ruth just happened. As it happened, she found herself. Look, it says, uh, she happened to find herself in the field that belonged to Boaz. Folks, this was no coincidence. She was there because God orchestrated it. God orchestrated the events in order to put her exactly in the place she needed to be to accomplish his purpose, his will, and her life. Ruth went through terrible things, but God used every problem to move her life in a direction. He used her problems to do something great inside of her and something great in her life. So we can see that in her story, but here's our challenge. Can you see that in your story? I'm looking around the room and I see people and I know that you've been, that I know and that I love and I know you've been through hard things. I know like Ruth and Naomi, you've lost loved ones. I know that you've experienced having to move from place to place to place to try to make it. Trying to find a better life. I know that you've had fears and struggles and concerns in your life. And look, when we're going through those things, we see it in her story, but we don't see it in our story. It brings us to a question. This is a very big question. It's important. And I think everybody asks this question at some time in their life. And that is, can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? In this journey with Naomi, Ruth is having to, to learn the answer to that question. We've lost everything. Can God be trusted to take us where we need to be, to take care of us? Does he really love us? The survivor of a shipwreck washed up on a small, uninhabited island, and every day he cried out to God to save him. And every day watched, and no one came. So finally, he had to build a place to live, so he built a hut, and he put all of his stuff in the hut, and then he went out, and he went hunting for food, and when he came back, the hut was on fire, and all of the stuff that he owned that he was living with to survive on this island was in the hut, and the hut was on fire, and he was devastated. He just couldn't believe that that was also happening to him after everything else. He'd already been stranded on a desert island, and now this. Early the next day, a ship arrived and rescued him. He couldn't believe it. And when he came on board, he asked the crew this question. How did you know I was here? How did you know I was here? And their answer was, we saw your smoke signal. Yeah, I wonder if he told them he didn't like the hut on fire, right? Listen, some of you 
Your hut's on fire. You're wondering what's going to happen in your life. And I want you to know that God's at work. That God's at work. God was at work in her life and in her story. And God's at work in your life. And he's at work in your story. And he loves you. And he's working. You can trust him. I know that's an answer. You got to get the answer to can God be trusted. I know you got to get that on your own. But I'm telling you that you can. The second area. So we start with God wants us to be faithful to him. Second, God wants us to be faithful to our family. The first and most noticeable of Ruth's qualities is her devotion to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth could have just said to Naomi, hey, you go back to your homeland. I'll stay in my homeland. We have no biological connection anyway. Uh, what brought us together was your son, and he's gone, so I'm gone. That's what she could have said. But instead, she said, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Incredible. She's leaving her culture of origin to go to another culture. She's leaving her people, everything she had known in her past, to, to go to a new life. That's scary. It takes faith. And I believe what motivated her was her love for Naomi. And again, she, she always makes a statement. I want your God to be my God. I think she's looking at Naomi and she's saying, if your people are anything like you, then I want to be a part of that. I think Naomi... She went through a time of bitterness, but she didn't stay there. I think God was at work in her life, and I think Ruth saw that. And I also think Ruth saw that Naomi needed help, that she wasn't going to just make it on her own. And she wanted to be there. And it was this amazing commitment to her, to Naomi, that attracted Boaz to Ruth. It made her different in his eyes, different than everyone else that he knew. Our culture knows very little of what it means um, to remain faithful to someone till death do us part. I include that in all my wedding ceremonies, okay? It's probably in yours. It's in most people's. But our culture doesn't quite for sure know what that means. What a lot of wedding ceremonies should say is I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife until you start to irritate me. Until your family becomes a problem, which will be like day one, all right? So until you get sick, until we have money problems, until you get old, until you need counseling, until someone better comes along, and on and on and on. We ought to put that in the wedding ceremony. It's not very exciting, all right? It's not very romantic, but at least we'd be being honest. So we're trying to rise, we're trying to rise above that, right? in our ceremony, but look, the reality is that's kind of where our society's at. So my parents got married at 16 and 17. Think of the 16 and 17-year-olds that you know in your life, married, having to support each other, okay? They were barely potty trained, all right, when they got married. And so... Uh, my dad came out of an alcoholic family. My mom came out of an abusive family. 
And the early years were pretty rough. Uh, pretty rough. I don't remember it, but I'm told that um, we started out living in my grandparents' garage. I don't think it was a nice garage either. I think it was a crappy garage, all right? So we started off living in the garage. We barely had enough money just to make it. And then on top of that, I was constantly hurt with all my medical problems, and our medical bills were racking up quick. But here's what I want you to know. God was at work. God was at work. There was a lady in our church who noticed how young my mom was, and she kind of knew her story of how hard her family life had been. And then I'm born with a disability, and she said, I want to take you to get some counseling. So we didn't even know what the word counseling was in Roswell, okay? Much less uh, Christian counseling. So she said, I'm going to drive you to Denver. There's a guy there named Dr. Solomon. And he was, a, he was before James Dobson, he was like one of the only Christian, known Christian counselors in the whole country. This lady took my mom, drove her to Denver. She probably paid for it because we didn't have any money. And I don't know how many times she went, but I do know this. God used that to change my mom's life. He used this lady, her name was Lois. He used her friendship, her love, and he used her resources of helping others to get my mom something she really needed. Her, uh, my mom started making a lot of progress. She went to school. She opened, uh, went to work, cosmetology. She eventually opened her own salon and her own businesses and all of that. So she's kind of getting on a good path, and my dad's still kind of doing a different path at the time, and uh, we all loved each other, but we were just, he's trying to figure out where does, where does Jesus fit into all this stuff? It didn't seem very obvious, I think. He grew up in a family that went to church, but it was just, you kind of went to church and then you left, and that was it. So God puts a guy in my life that's a professional bull rider who's a Christian rodeo kind of a guy, and he comes in and he, God uses this guy to help my dad understand all what Christ really meant and to make a real commitment to be faith, become a faithful and a devoted follower of Christ. And it turned his life around. And by this time, I'm old enough to see what's going on. So I was 13 when I broke both my femurs, and that was my last fracture. And I was 13 when my dad told me things were going to be different now. And they were. And God was at work. And God was at work. And you're in a situation right now, some of you, and I know you can't see the way out. And you're like, God, God would never change this guy that I'm married to or this lady I'm married to. Or we, I don't see how we'll ever work through this problem that we're dealing with. And I want you to know God is at work. God is at work. And what he wants you to do is he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to stick it out. He wants you to not give up. He wants you to put him first. He wants you to trust. He wants you to seek the help that you need to get. He wants you to be faithful to do what needs to be done to bring healing and restoration and love back to your family. 
Marriages can have struggles. And the truth is every marriage has times of frustration and disagreement and conflict. No matter who you are, there are going to be some things that you never agree on. My wife loves, loves cats. And I think cats are really demons in furry little bodies, okay? So here's what I'm, I'm basically saying. I'm a pastor, and I love Jesus, and my wife loves cats and the devil, okay? That's what I'm saying. And she's not here at the moment, so I can speak freely, all right? And honestly, too, I don't think. She might be out there. I'm just not seeing her. So, look, if I want her to know what I'm saying to you today, I'll tell her myself, Okay? So possibly my wife doesn't worship the devil, but I'm 100% certain that our cat does, all right? So I'm certain. I'm certain of it. So here's the deal. Besides cats, my wife and I have a lot of other things that we have different views on. We have a lot of other things that we're very different on. And God wants to use it. Because the greater your differences are in marriage, the greater your potential for spiritual growth. Because God wants to use your marriage to help you grow up on the inside. Not just get older, but to grow up. And we grow up by working through our differences together and by being faithful to each other. At some point, you have to make that commitment that you're going to go the distance with someone who's not perfect. Who's not perfect. That's the way it works. The third and fourth. I'm going to give you the third. And we're going to go fast, okay? God wants us to be faithful to our work. After the harvest, the poor were allowed to uh, glean, which means they just pick up grain that was dropped on the ground. It was hard work, but if they were willing to go and get it, they could have it. And Ruth said this, let me go. And Naomi said, are you sure? And she said, yes, let me go. But it's dangerous, I know. It's scary, I know. But let me go because we need it. We need food. And so she went. And here's the thing I love about Ruth. Because of her confidence that she got from being faithful to God and faithful to her family, she was willing to do whatever it took to provide for her and for Naomi, whatever was necessary. Instead of depending on Naomi or waiting for Mr. Wright, she took the initiative. And when Ruth uh, went out into the fields, God provided for her. And God will provide for you. If you're waiting on God to provide, I want you just to consider one thing. If you're waiting, and we hate waiting, if you're waiting on God to provide, just consider that God might be waiting on you to take initiative. He might be waiting on you to use the gifts and the ability, abilities and the talent and look for opportunities. He might be waiting on you to do something different that turns your situation around and it may be scary and you may have to talk to some other people about it and, some, and you're probably going to get mixed opinions, but you may have to look around and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of this situation I'm in to turn things around in my career. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. As working for the Lord and not for men. 
So since 80% of Americans say they hate their jobs, I hope that, that's, I hope that we're a higher percentage than that uh, here for, for, the, for the other direction, for good. But maybe we're not. Maybe we're not. Whatever you do, here's what I know for sure is God's will. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. That's the secret. That's the secret to being faithful in your work. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Folks, listen. God wants to bless you through your work. You say, but I think I need to get new work. Good. I hope you do. But God wants to bless you through your work that you have right now. And he wants you to be faithful. And the last one is this. God wants us to be faithful to a specific spiritual family. Have you ever dreamed of being part of a great family? I have. I have. I think we all want that. And, I, and, and God, God so turned you know, my family around when I was growing up. And we had, uh, we were like, it was really high tech in Roswell. We had a black and white TV and three channels, all right? So I had to watch. My choices of watching uh, shows basically came down to shows like The Brady Bunch and The Partridge Family, right? Those were the family shows on at the time. You remember those? I, out of the two, one, I didn't want to have like 19 brothers and sisters like the Brady Bunch. So I'm like, I'm going Partridge Family here, all right? They get to travel on a bus. And when you're a little kid, you're like, that would be so cool, you know? We'll travel on a bus and we'll sing everywhere and everybody will throw money and it'll be awesome, right? So we watch all these shows. I asked my wife, Hun, what show do you like, do you see on today that you feel like is one of those, you know, like classic shows about, picturing a great family that we all want to be like. And she said, oh, the one I love is Property Brothers. <laughs> Property Brothers, like, you do worship the devil, huh? You do. You do worship. I can't believe you would say that, okay? So sad. Now I know what I'm dealing with at home, all right? So, so look, here's the real point. The entire Bible is the story of God building a family. And he wants you to be part of it. The church is not a place you go. The church is a family that you belong to. It's so different when you make a church your family. So again, I look around, and I have glasses now so I can actually see your faces. And here's what I see. I see people that I love. I see people that I've known for many, many years. You're my brothers. You're my sisters. I'm an only child, but you're my brothers. And you're my sisters. And you're my spiritual family. And I love you. And I don't care if you're imperfect. And God loves you. And he's been building the family and he wants you to be in. And in the same way that God took this outcast Moabite girl and said, I want you to come into the family that's the family of David and is the family of Jesus. God's telling you the same thing. 
He wants you in the part of his family. It happens when you place your faith in Christ. It happens when we trust him. But we also need to come in and be a part of what's going on here. We need to connect together. We need to get to know each other. I want to invite you that if you've never made the commitment to belong here, I want to invite you to a class we do called membership. It's where you get to know us a little bit more on a deeper level. And then you can decide. But, but look, folks, somewhere in your life, make a commitment to be a part of a spiritual family. Ours is going to happen on March 26, a couple of weeks on a Tuesday night. I would love for you to come. I'd love for you to check that out. Here's the bottom line of today. Trust that God is at work, even if you don't see the results right away. He's at work. Trust that God is at work, even if you're not seeing the results right away. Be faithful. Make the commitment. And never forget, folks, that God radically blesses faithfulness.